behind the whistle. I enjoy myself on the field, so I smile a lot. There's so much other stuff that that you can you can work on in, in terms of, of philosophy and movement and, and, and communication and body language and all that good stuff. Be aware of what your body language is, is telling the world. Welcome to episode number five of Behind the Whistle, the weekly podcast series where we talk to sports officials about their personal officiating journey. We'll provide insights into why these officials do what they do and will be a great way of understanding how they balance their passion for officiating with their personal and professional lives, ensuring that they stay involved in the sports that they are passionate about. Our guest for this episode is our first international official, Frank Christensen. Frank is the International Federation of American Football, IFAF, coordinator of officials in Europe. Frank has been officiating American football for close to 30 years and has attended international tournaments as both an on-field official and as a tournament supervisor. I started off by asking Frank which country he's currently in. I'm in Denmark. Oh, I'm so you'd be what, in the middle of or starting winter now. It actually, we just had our very first snow here, you know, 10 minutes ago. Uh, it's, it's still dark out, but uh, I could see the snow from the from the street lamp. So yes, <laughs> it's it is nice winter. Christmas. It's about uh, one or two degrees outside, and we just had our first snow. Awesome. So a little, a little different from where you are. Yeah, just a little. So what sport do you officiate in? I officiate American football. So would you be leading into your season, finishing a season? How does what's the deal over there? <laughs> Our season finished uh, about a, uh, six weeks ago. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was still cold when we finished uh, in October, uh, but but it was manageable. And then we will we'll pick it up again in in April uh, on the field. But but as you know. We call it off season, but there really is no off season. So right now we're into rules and we're into, you know, preparing clinics and 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 uh, you know watching uh, watching training tapes and videos and all that stuff. So uh, my wife usually tells me there is no off season. It's just a it's just a uh, uh, on the grass season and and not on the grass season. <laughs> and the time and the time taken for each season is generally probably the same, roughly. Pretty much on a weekly basis. Pretty much, that's a good point. I mean, we uh, I spend time every single day on it um, in the in the so-called off season. At least I can do it from my couch. <laughs> I don't have to to leave the house as much. So that's that's so. That's I know that you're you're involved with the training side of officials. So, I mean, you don't do normally just do your local area officiating, or you do a little bit more. Um, specific i guess europe area or what's your role over there with your officiating usually i i, I try to do, set up some uh, some study sessions which we do in my living room uh which typically you know is, is for for local officials just because of you know geography um more and more as you know i've i've, I've gotten into the international stuff and 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 for that i try to do videos instead training tapes which can reach a, a broader audience. Uh, so I'm, I'm right now. I'm actually working on a, on a new type of, of training tape, uh, which hopefully will come out in uh, next year, which deals with um, pre-snap routines or, or basically 
uh, you know, you have uh, like a handful of, of things you need to focus on before the snap. Well, I've incorporated that into different uh, play types and different positions, uh, looking at, well, what, what do you need to look at um, on this play for this position? And then we'll look at some video and, and, and try to break it down into some bullets and say, if you're the umpire on this kickoff during the play, you need to be looking at this and this and this, and, and, and we'll show that on the video. And then after the play, well, now dead ball officiating, you need to look at this and this and this. So we try to, you know, I, my, my working title is the bullet training, uh, training tapes because I try to try to break it out into, into a few bullets for each position on each play uh, in each situation. And, and you should focus on, on, on these three or four bullets in this situation. I know, I know within the uh, international community of American football, obviously out, generally tend to be outside America, you've got, a, a, uh, I guess, a, a known following, um, a known reputation for developing training tapes. You've got, what, bite-side tapes. You've got a couple of hundred that you've done over the years um, and also ones that you, I guess, were able to do because you were bored during COVID. Is that... <laughs> You know, those sort of areas. Uh, you know, I know you do spend a lot of time on, on generating those, and I know it's appreciated by the officials in the community. How do you find the time for those sort of things? And why do you do them? I have a very understanding wife, and, and I have basically no other hobbies. So I, I have my work, I, I have, uh, I, I have my, my, uh, my wife, and, and then I have officiating, not necessarily in that order. Um, <laughs> But you know, whenever whenever I need to relax, I I do some football stuff. Uh, so that's to me that's a really good uh, balance uh, from work. So uh, you know, like I said, I I I work on on football stuff every single day. Uh, sometimes it's reading the rule book, sometimes it's reading the mechanics, sometimes it's watching videos, sometimes it's creating videos, um, and all of those things typically you know, work together. So it makes me a better official. And, and if I'm lucky, I can uh, I, I can make other people better officials too. I, I know the, the officials in, you know, obviously in Australia where I am and, and some of the ones I've had been fortunate enough to deal with on an international basis, certainly appreciate all the, you know, the additional work and effort that you've put in to generate your tapes and have learned plenty of things from those. And, you know, I know that's, that's appreciated across the board. Um, you know, I, how long have you been doing that for? Yeah. Oh, first of all, let's go back. How long have you been officiating, and how did you get into it? I've been officiating since 1991, so that tells you a little bit about how old I am. <laughs> uh, I got into officiating because uh, when I got back from from uh, from high school in the U.S., uh, I helped uh, start a, a football club in in my local area, and in in Denmark, the setup is such that. Uh, every club needs to supply officials to work uh, the tournament. So at that point, I was president of the club. I was quarterback on the team. Uh, so I also became the referee uh, of the officiating crew. Uh, so my very first game was actually as referee. Uh, so so that's really how I how I got into it. And then very quickly, I I, I learned that I kind of liked it. And it was something that I would be able to do long after my playing days were over. Uh, so I, I just I just kept doing it after I stopped playing. And you've been fortunate enough to do international tournaments as well. Um, 
I know that I've done some with you either, you know, I know you've done some on the field, but you've also done some as a, you know, a mentor or an assigner or, you know, whatever you want to call that sort of role, mentoring role through those tournaments. Talk me through how you, you know, I guess got through your career and got through up to that stage. Yeah. And I, you know, I started uh, working local games. Um, and then once I, once I stopped playing, I was fortunate enough to to become an international official for for the Danish Federation or or in the the Danish uh, Federation setup. I uh, did that for for a number of years uh, since I think my first international game was in 1999. Uh, and then you're right, the the last uh, 10 15 years or so, I've, I've been fortunate enough also to uh, to 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 function as as a supervisor on uh, at international. Uh, tournaments, which is a, uh, it's an amazing challenge, uh, and 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 uh, and a lot of fun, a lot of work, but also a lot of fun to be able to to help officials um, improve doing these uh, uh, tournaments. You know, it's 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 a completely different role from from being on the field. Uh, I enjoy the the communication uh, challenge of it. You know, with officials trying to trying to set a set a tone and 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 be be consistent, but also communicating with with coaches and and uh, and and uh, you know the the leaders around each federation and each team, um, which is completely different from from when you're an official, uh, just because it's it's at a you know the the context is is different when you're in a. If you're in a in a meeting room with a bunch of officials looking at tape, as opposed to being in, in the same reading room looking at the same video, but now you're talking to coaches and and CDMs or or you know managers of of the teams, trying to be consistent and and setting setting that kind of a tone. Uh, so that's that's a, that's a huge challenge and and one that I really like. And obviously, with international tournaments, you've got officials or you know team managers and coaches. That where English isn't their um, primary language, um, so the communication skills that you'd need to develop would be, uh, I guess, unique for those areas and having to be able to communicate the same message to people that don't speak languages that you speak. That's true. Uh, English is our common language, but you're right. You know, depending on where you're from, uh, English is is not your your primary language, and. Um, for some people, it may not even be your secondary language. Luckily, most officials who, who show up at these tournaments um, speak English at a, at a fairly uh, proficient level. But we do have some who, uh, who openly admit, well, I understand about 80% of what you're saying. Uh, so, you know, that, that does present a, a different language or a different uh, challenge in, in terms of, of your communication. And you have to kind of... Uh, keep it at a level where where everybody understands what you're saying, and, and you know an another part of it is is the culture, where where uh, you know in Denmark people are used to me, and 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 they're used to when when I say we need to do this better, you know it's not a personal attack or or anything like that, um, where you know people from different cultures may be a little bit more more touchy or or a little bit more you know used to uh, confrontation, so. Um, the diplomacy in terms of you know how you how you present your your points and, and how you you get that across uh, can be very different. 
So you have to start by setting a tone of, you know, we're all in this together. We're here to to try to learn, and and and, and nothing I say uh, should be taken as as a personal attack, uh, because it's certainly not meant as such. And you know, I guess with with the tournaments, there's different ways the tournaments are set up. Some of them are a short term, week week and a half, two week type camp type situation. Others are, you know, might go over a multiple months. I know you've had just finished up your European what, men's seniors championships over there and they were staged over a couple of weeks. Um, you know, how do you, I guess, deal with the different types of tournament um, structures and you know, obviously approaches to those? Yeah, you're right. Uh, the European championship you know, started over a year ago. Uh, I was going to say prior COVID, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, so COVID did, uh, did, did screw us up a little bit. Um, and then there, there, are, there are games across Europe on, on set dates. Uh, so what we try to do there in, in, in the IFAF setup is, is, you know, get the training or get the video, the game film, uh, try to make some training tapes and send that out. Uh, you know, in, in those situations, we're communicating with people across, the, across Europe. Um, so we're trying to get the message out that way. In the, in the tournaments, where we have like a week and a half, and we've got uh, a number of games. Uh, as you know, we we could have four games on one day, and then we'll, we'll have two days off, and we we try to do uh, uh, study sessions or or you know review sessions uh, in those off days. Uh, and it, it's it's typically a little bit easier to get. Um, to, to raise the level of officiating simply because you have a game, then you go to study session, and then you have another game. So it's it's instant feedback for all the officials, and and it's a lot easier to you know remember that feedback when you when you just had it, and then you go out and work another game, and then you get more feedback, and then you go out and work another game, and 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 that way it's 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 a lot of work. Um, typically, you know, it's it's 18 hour days for for 10 days straight. Uh, but it's also a lot of fun just to see how 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 officiating level rises uh, throughout a week like that. I know, I, I know. Obviously, um, you know, we did the Bologna tournament, uh, and you're the, the the coordinator for that. And you know, I remember vividly the first couple of days, the the training or the the review. You led it, and then afterwards, it was like, all right, let's let the officials lead it, and then they the sessions ended up going longer and longer because we ended up obviously critiquing ourselves and being able to pick up things that we've learned from one day and being able to implement into the next. And you know, I guess as a coordinator, that's that's what you like to see in your officials. Yeah. I mean, I usually compare it to, to, to an onion, right? You, you've got layers. And and from, from one game, you can typically pick out, you know, two or three, maybe four things to improve. Uh, and then once, once, you, once you have that, uh, into your bag of tricks, then you go to the next layer and, and you look at something else for, for the next game and, and you just kind of kind of grow from there. And, you know, as an officials, I guess we've got, you know, to an extent, unlimited layers because there's always opportunities for us to keep learning. Oh, you, you're never done. You're never done. Um, I've been doing this, like I said, for, for 30 years. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to improve my, my game in, in different areas. Obviously, it's not... You know, basic mechanics, or or or, is this a five or a fifteen or or ten yard penalty anymore? Uh, 
but there's so much other stuff that that you can you can work on in in terms of of philosophy and movement and and, and communication and body language and all that good stuff. So you're never done, especially when they change the rules. You know, on a yearly or a biweekly basis, it, you know, you got to keep across all the the nuances that they change the rules. Yeah, that that's a good point. They do change the rules and and also the philosophy sometimes and 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 how they want us to to administer different rules. So so obviously every year you have to you have to get into that and and uh, and be on top of that. So that that's a good point. And you know, I guess with with the sport of American football, it's unique that you know everyone watches the NFL or they watch the college, but it's not the rules are you know whatever ninety five percent the same. But there's that five or ten percent of the rules that are different that we need to be across because we've got you know slightly different rule sets, um, which always keeps it brings an interesting perspective to spectators when they um, watch one set and then we are obviously a rule under the ones that we play under. It it. it you're halfway right when you say 95 percent yeah for uh, for a spectator uh they can certainly look the same you know an nfl game and a, and a college game or, or an iff game can can look the same in, in terms of the rules that that we use you know we, we still have uh four downs to get 10 yards and all that stuff you know but once you get into the uh the nitty-gritty of the rules uh man there are a ton of rule differences in in penalty enforcement in, in in little little details like the like the fair catch kick they have in the NFL, um, so you know we could we could talk an hour just about where where the rules are different if you want to go into detail. <laughs> uh, but you're right, um, we we do get a lot from you know from coaches and players where they you know they've seen a game in the NFL and and they want to use what they saw in an IFAF game and, 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 and typically they find an area where the rule is just a little bit different uh, and, that, and that, you know, we have to deal with that in, in, in our communication with them also. So with officiating in Europe, um, obviously you do your local area in Denmark. Do you do um, officiate within, are there inter, inter-country games or regular inter-country games or are they club versus club across countries? What sort of um, competitions do you have over in Europe? Well, we have both. Uh, we have, um, if you're familiar with the Champions League of, of, of soccer, uh, we have uh, you know tournaments that are similar to that, where uh, champions and, and maybe even runners-up uh, from each uh, country gets the opportunity to uh, to play in international tournaments and, and play against each other. Uh, but we also have, uh, like we we just had the European Championship uh, tournament, where where national teams uh, compete for for continental glory, if you will. Uh, so we have we have both of them. So I had yeah, I guess an an official in Europe would start at their local country, your local area, and then move up um, through to an IFAF rank, and then how does that I guess work within Europe? So if, if you're a, if you're a young aspiring official, you want to you want to kind of start out. Um, typically, you'd go to your local club and you'd you'd start working games uh, with the local club. Um, and then if you're if you're uh, you know eager interested, uh, if you have just a little bit of talent, you'll get noticed uh, by the officiating committee in in Denmark, um, and you'll get invited into into working. Uh, the top level games 
what we call the National League, uh, which is the top level games in Denmark. And, and then if you excel there, uh, you can move on and, and become an international official for Denmark, which is when you you'll get a chance to work international games. Um, so obviously going back to, you know, you obviously got a full-time job as well as officiating. What do you do for a full-time job? I'm a, a management assistant at a um, hearing aid company. So I, uh, I'm, I, I assist uh, a group of managers making sure that, that they can do uh, their job, so I, I make sure that that everything around them is is uh, is, is structured and organized, uh, so that they don't have to worry about that, and they can they can do their thing. So does that mean when you go away to international tournaments, they don't do any work because you're not there to help them assist it, oh, or do you structure it? So? It's chaos. It's chaos when I'm not there. <laughs> but I guess those those skills from your full-time job would come into your officiating in regards to you know your structuring setting up policies and processes so that way you know obviously that that can work and function while you're not there but then also in your officiating area helps run tournaments you know developing those structures and and philosophies around that yeah um you're right in in terms of tournaments uh like like uh, you experienced in in bologna it's you know it helps me set up uh meeting structures and 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 get all that kind of stuff um, organized, but you know, I also think that it helps me um, understand the rules. Like for example, a, a block below the waist rule, which uh, for us is is can be very very confusing because there are so many different aspects to it. Uh, I think my structure helps me uh, organize the different types of of low blocks that we have. So that I understand the rule, uh, but it also helps me, me be able to uh, to explain it in, in training tapes and and to explain stuff like that in in, uh, in tournaments and in study sessions, uh, so that I can get my point across more uh, more precisely. And you know your communication skills that you've developed throughout your your working career, obviously having to deal with upper management and those sort of things, helps you to deal with you know, column coaches um the unique personalities that coaches have that we all know um and also tournament organizers because you know obviously we're um the third cog i guess to an extent between the teams the organ the tournament organizers and the officials and, and being able to communicate with all those people yes absolutely um you know a, a big part of, of certainly on the field but also in in in, in the business world is when you when you communicate with people uh, a big part of it is is recognizing their level of frustration, as as I call it. You know, very quickly being able to see where are people, you know, on on the on the scale of, of frustration, and and being able to to communicate with them based on that, and and not necessarily answering the question they're asking, but giving them the information that they actually need. Uh, especially when they're, you know, when they're upset and uh, their communication skills may be declining because they're so worked up. Um, so not necessarily answering that, that the question that they're actually asking, but uh, giving them the information that that they that they need to be able to move on and, and actually, you know, focus on their job. And you know, we all know during a game that you know the 
the moods of coaches and players can change very quickly. So to be able to pick that up very quickly is, you know, a, a great skill to have. Absolutely. And, and, and you have to have a short memory uh, because the coach that was or the player that was really upset two plays ago, you know, probably forgot it and, and is now, you know, very, very calm. And, and you have to be able to, to adapt to that also. And, and, you know, players and coaches tend to remember, I guess, to an extent, how you made them feel as opposed to what was said or, um, you know, how you reacted. It's more about, uh, I guess, the how they've taken the, the feedback that you've provided. You're right. And, and, and you know, body language, as always, is, is part of communication. And, you know, I'm, I'm all often told on the field that, that uh, players and coaches uh, feel comfortable because I always or, or typically walk around smiling uh, because I enjoy myself on the field, so I smile a lot. And, and they find that comforting uh, because, you know, I look comfortable and I, I look like I'm in control uh, and, and that, that feeds off to them and, and then they feel comfortable with my decisions also. So that helps me a lot. And, you know, there would be a balance between smiling and being, you know, overly, you know, I guess, looking overly relaxed and, and the not care type attitude. So it's, you know, having that level of um, ensuring that you, you're comfortable, you're showing comfortable, but you're not showing um, relaxed or, you know, I guess, not caring type attitude. That's true. I mean, obviously, it is a balance. And that's, you know, that's, that's, that's another layer in the onion is to be be aware of what your body language is, is telling the world and using that to your advantage. Uh, I'm not saying that, that I smile on purpose because that, that just happens naturally. Um, but, you know, it, it's mixed in with, with focus and concentration and, and all that stuff that you need on the field to be able to, to handle the game. So how did you, I guess, become aware of that or how did you develop those skills throughout your either officiating or work career? Was there, you know, courses you went through, feedback from mentors or just things you've just picked up by yourself? The smiling just came naturally to me. Uh, I don't think I even noticed until, you know, players and coaches started uh, mentioning it to me. Um, the body language itself is, is something that I take pride in and, and something that I, you know, I, I, I watch a lot of video uh, of my own games just to see, you know, what I look like and what the other officials look like. So that's something that I, I actively try to work on uh, when, when I move on the field. And, and uh, you know, you can, you can see how if, if one official moves, how others around uh, him or her react to it. Um, I, I see that on video and then I try to remember it on the field and try to try to implement it and, and, uh, and, and use it to my advantage, but also, you know, communicate it to other officials and, and see how, look at how if, if, you're, if you're jogging in here, you look relaxed, but if you're sprinting in, it, it looks like, you know, something is about to explode and, and that, you know, is communication to the other officials. So, so make sure that you do that on purpose if, if you want to do it. And, you know, I guess one of the, you know, the good feedback to get from players and coaches is that you are smiling. They could give you other types of feedback that probably wouldn't be as helpful, but, you know, it's got to be encouraging to get you know, that sort of positive feedback from, from players and coaches. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, it's obviously nice to get positive feedback from players and coaches. Um, I, you know, I try to, try to remind uh, officials that, that, 
if they listen to the positive feedback, they also have to listen to the negative feedback. <laughs> and, you know, we, we try to we try to ignore that as, as just being being you know a coach uh, venting. But uh, um, but yeah, it is obviously it is nice to get the positive feedback. And you know, as as officials, we are there as part of the game. So if we're showing that we're enjoying what we're doing, it's going to set the tone. You know, for the helps to run, you know, manage the game a lot better than if we're showing body language that is either we don't want to be there or we're in a hush, in a hurry to get the game finished. You know, it that rubs off on the rest of the the players and coaches as well. Absolutely, there, there's a lot of stuff that that actually is communication. You know, if you come out with a dirty uniform or or a uniform that doesn't really fit you, or, or if you're out of shape, or, you know, there, there are a lot of things that, that, that you can work on um, to, to, to make it look like you want to be there and, and you're in control. And obviously, if, you know, if you come out there and you're in shape and, and your uniform looks nice and, uh, and, and, and clean, you know, it looks like, you know, you, you prepare to be there and you want to be there and, and you're going to do a good job. Uh, I guess uh, with, with uh, up and coming officials, that's probably one of the key things to you know reinforce to them and encourage them about is, you know, even though you might be starting off in your career, still approach it you know with a professional that you know approach, be presentable, um, and then it you know it obviously gives you the you know helps manage the games and helps move the the game the I guess the feeling of the game along. Yeah, uh, as an official, I mean, you should approach it like you would uh, like a player would. You know, if, if you're serious about it, uh, if you're serious about being a player, you know, you do stuff in the off season, you you work out, you, uh, you you try to make yourself stronger and faster, and and all that stuff. Uh, and we should approach it the same way as officials. You know, whatever you can do to to become a better official in the off season, you know, if if, if this is something you want to pursue at at a professional level or, or or try to be professional at it, you know, what can I do today to to become a better official and you know i guess setting the foundations of your own professional uh, your own officiating skill set um having your your foundations of your rule books your mechanics and your, your base level of fitness you know makes you prepared for for the games and you know we all know that things happen in the game that you are not necessarily prepared for but by being in the conditions and being as best prepared as you can you'll be able to handle them a lot better yeah I mean, uh, to me, preparation is is a is a huge part. Uh, you know, I like to prepare for for uh, practically anything that that can happen on the field. You know, the the flip side of that is is it's it's a bigger challenge when something happens that you haven't prepared for. Uh, but but that doesn't happen very often. Uh, I mean, even uh, when I'm a referee, I, I like to prepare announcements. You know, uh, write them down beforehand. This, uh, this is probably going to happen in the game, and what? How am I going to announce that uh, on the field so that I have, you know, uh, a phrase or or maybe even a, a complete announcement ready in the back of my head uh, for when that situation happens, and and even when stuff happens that that, that I haven't prepared for. At least, you know, I'm, I'm probably more relaxed and, and and able to focus more because I haven't used up all of my bandwidth on other stuff. So uh, to me, preparation is a big part and, and you can prepare in uh, many, many different aspects or, or levels uh, to get ready for any game. And I guess one of the aspects of, 
of preparing is actually reviewing your your past games. And as you mentioned, you know, you might have an announcement that you haven't had to do in the past. You know, we've all probably done it. We've fumbled over it during during the game and got it out there and you get to the end of the game and go, all right, how can I do that better next time? And, you know, obviously, you know, tips of writing it down or thinking through how you might actually explain that next time around. Yeah, uh, you know, and I've done that throughout my career. Whenever something happens in a game where I didn't feel like I was in, in complete control or, you know, early on when, when somebody asked me something about a rule and I really didn't know, you know, I'd, I'd go back and look at the rule book, uh, you know, completely determined that that was not going to happen again. Uh, and that's how you build up, uh, you know, rules knowledge. Um, and that's how you prepare for the next game because, you know, you, you can get surprised once, uh, but if you get surprised by the same situation again, you know, that, that really is, is, a, is a lack of preparation. And, and you're right, watch a lot of video, talk to your mentor. You know, you know sometimes I even, you know, if, if you look at a game on, on, um, on TV and something happens, you can go, okay, how would I have officiated that play? Where would I have been surprised? Or, you know, how would I do an announcement like that? Or, you know, you can even, you know, make up scenarios in your own head about, okay, so let's, let's think of a crazy play and this happens and that happens. And now you as a referee, uh, has to uh, you have to announce it to the audience, or you as 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 somebody else, you have to communicate that, report that to the referee. What are you going to say? And you know those scenarios are great for discussions amongst your you know your officiating crew, whether it's a pregame or whether it's in your area, you know during the week. Is you know we had this scenario on the game. Well, what happens if this little tweak happened? How would we do that? Uh, and you know coming up with possible scenarios to think through how the rules apply in, in, in each of those scenarios. Yeah, what if conversations are, are always fun because everybody can chip in and, and uh, you know, you, you typically have one or two guys on the, on the crew who are really good at, at what ifs and you can just go further and further into the rule book and, and into, you know, crazy situations uh, that, that really get, get all the tweaks in there and, and you know, you can talk about the rule, what you would do, but also, like I said, uh, you can talk about how you're going to communicate that uh, first to the referee and then to to the audience. And, you know, that comes into, your, as you mentioned, your communication across the board, you know, whether it's during the week with your uh, officiating crew area, talking about the rules, you know, communicating on the game, communicating with even to an extent to how would you explain what you've just announced to the head coach because obviously you know it's not just necessarily hey here's the announcement and we move on the head coach is half the time is going whoa what happened there can somebody explain what happened so yeah yeah and, and that's why i don't know if you've 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 seen my uh i i, I tried making some communication training tapes uh, where we talk about you know how how is that going to be reported to the referee and how is the announcement going to be and, and how can we make that uh, communication as 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 precise as possible and you know a lot of times reporting to the referee is is a little bit like communicating to the coach because you have to assume that the person you are communicating to hasn't seen the same thing that that you saw so they don't have the same uh the same level of of knowledge of the of the play as you do and and, and certainly with coaches you have to use a different language uh, than we do internally uh, because they don't basically know the rules the same way they don't know our our terminology 
So when communicating with a coach, you have to first assume that he didn't really see what was going on, and then you have to try to explain it to him in language that he understands. But also, too, if he saw it, he would have seen it from a different angle or perspective than what the official did. And whether it's for them or against them, they're obviously going to have a feeling either way. Um, and as an official, we need to say, well, you know, the angle that I saw it on, this is what I saw, this is what we're going with. Um, you know, they'll have a different view because obviously they've got a different, you know, standing on a different point of the sideline. That's a very good point. And, and uh, like you say, you know, some of the... Uh, some of the phrases that we typically use is from my angle and uh, and in my judgment. <laughs> and, and, you know, coaches get, to an extent, you know, we want to make sure that they, to, you know, to a degree, don't have a, an additional way of coming back to, hey, you know, this is it, black and white, they don't have a, you know, a comeback. This is, this is what I saw. This is why I ruled. And, and that's why we're moving forward with, with the game. Uh, and, you know, they'll either accept it or they won't. Most of the coaches I've found will accept it. And then if they've got further queries, they generally like to query you. You know, they'll ask a question when at a cooler part of the game or, you know, maybe during the week with a, hey, can you clarify what that was on the weekend? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Uh, that you, you never want to, uh, at least intentionally, make it into a into a debate or a discussion where I think this well I thought that and and then you know there's no there's no good way out of that uh, and that's why uh, in my judgment uh, this or that happened uh, is you know you, you can't really you can't really argue a judgment call you know you can you can start saying well I saw it a different way uh, but then, you know, then the, the, the debate kind of fizzles from there and, and then we can move on with the game, which is which is really what we want. You know, quick communication and then we need to move on with the game. So with with communication between officials, how do you, I guess we touched on a bit earlier, we've been able to pick up the uh, where people are at. But how do you, with in your international tournaments, um, obviously officials from around the world, how do you quickly pick up how they communicate, what language and those sort of aspects? Is that just a, a skill you've been able to develop or is it sort of a, obviously an ongoing thing where, you know, you've got people that have English as their second or third language? Um, how do you, I guess, handle those at those tournaments? Yeah, it's, a, it's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think I just kind of... Um, Pick that up, uh, you know. After talking to uh, to uh, three thousand different coaches uh, over my career, is is you you know you, you you get a feel for for where people are and, and how you need to communicate with them, uh, also based on their on their culture. Um, you know, there's a big difference between talking uh, talking to somebody from Scandinavia and 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 maybe talking to somebody from from Southern Europe or or Israel or. You know, Mexico or uh, Mexico and Japan are, are very different. Also, uh, so you just kind of, you know, you know, put that in your bank and 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 uh, and you know, there's a big difference between talking one and one to people and 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 talking to a to a group of of thirty officials uh, with with vastly different cultures behind you. Uh, so you just have to start, you know, start out by. By, by 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 setting a tone of of we're he, we're in this together and we want to improve and and that's why we're you know everything that we're going to say from here on out is to make everybody better 
And I, I love the uh, love the international tournaments where you actually get a lot of self-reflection as well because I know one of the things that I learned very quickly was in Australia, especially me to an extent as well, I tended to talk a lot quicker. And when English isn't your first language, a lot of the people will just sit there going, what did you just say? And I've rattled off a whole paragraph. I'm like, okay, so I need to I need to look at myself and go, all right, how do I how can I communicate a little bit more effectively with you know the the people that you know, obviously where aren't used to the culture that we have here in Australia? Yeah, uh, the, it probably helps me also that that you know the English that I have now I I, I got from uh, from from Kansas in the U.S. where they where they talk fairly slowly. Uh, it's certainly not Australian speed or, or British speed. Uh, so so when I when I talk it's it's not super fast. Obviously English is is also not my first language. Uh, but but you know speaking Kansas drawl uh, probably also helps me uh, become more yeah. more understandable to to people who who don't understand English at the same level as, as you do. You also have the uh, extra skill of being able to speak multiple languages, don't you? More than just English and what, what is, what's the language in Danish? Is it Danish or is it Flemish? Danish. Danish. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, have I, a, also, I also speak uh, German. Uh, I've, I've been able to use that a couple of times. That uh, I've, I've gone to, uh, been invited to a couple of clinics in Austria uh, where we've where we've spoken German, which is uh, it's it's an interesting t challenge to all of a sudden you know everything you say. Uh, we, we still use some of the some of the English uh, or, or American uh, terms, but everything else is is in is in German. Uh, so you delivered the conference in German. Yes. Oh, so that would have been because that's obviously not your first language, not your second language. What third language? Uh, German yeah. is my third language. Yes. Uh, so I'm, that would have been a, a challenge to do that. It, it it's it's a it's a really nice challenge. Uh, I typically, you know, I, I prepare all the presentations in in German, and you know, I try to go through them in my head, and you know, what which words, what words am I going to to need here, and and how am I going to phrase this or that, and then I spend uh, probably two or three weeks watching uh, Netflix uh, German shows. And then I put the German subtitles on there too, so that I can I can hear it, I can read it, and that helps me get back into into German mode. Uh, and then once I get there, I, I ask everybody not to speak English to me because they're you know typically they're used to talking English with me, but I, I just can't I can't juggle both German and English at the same time. Then then German loses. Uh, so, so for, for that weekend uh, of the clinic, I ask everybody to talk only German to me, and, and that that helps me. Um, but you know, after after a full day of, of, of presentations in German, uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> so I guess I won't be coming to that new those German clinics because I don't know German, so <laughs> I won't be talking to you at all. <laughs> um, and you know, that that goes back to the point that we made earlier on about preparation. You know. A lot of people would just go, "Hey, I'm going to go talk. I'm going to go and present in German. I'll read a slide or whatnot." You know, obviously, you've done a, a fair amount of preparation to ensure that you're, you know, prepared for that that presentation. And you know, same as with officiating, put your best foot forward and, and give a professional out, um, outlook. Yeah, I mean, you know, whenever something happens on the field that 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 I don't like or or that I could have done better, you know, my first thought is is 
you know, one is, could I have prevented that? Could I have, have been more prepared uh, to handle that situation? And then the, the second thing is, okay, what am I going to do to make sure it doesn't happen moving forward? Cool. Um, and so I guess along that lines, what sort of tips would you give for up and coming officials or people coming, starting out or in their starting early in their career in regards to you know, how to advance or how to, you know, I guess, enjoy officiating as much as we do? Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's so much, there's so much you can do. There's, you know, so many aspects of this and, and this is, this is the cool part about officiating. You know, there's so many aspects that, that you can work on and, and improve. Uh, if I were to say, you know, one thing, it would be find a mentor that isn't a cheerleader. Um, what, I, what I see sometimes is, you know, you, you, you try to find somebody, oh, can you give me some feedback? And, and then the feedback is, oh, you're doing a great job. Uh, but that doesn't really, that doesn't move you. That doesn't help you improve. So find somebody who is willing to, to, to you know, pick out your weak spots. You know, obviously in a good way, in, in, a, in a, you know, we're in this together to get better. But find somebody who's, who's willing to, to work with you and, and, and let you know when, when it's not good enough and, and how can you improve on that. So find a mentor that's not a cheerleader. I'm assuming you've probably had similar mentors well, that light throughout your career for you. You've got people around you like that. Yeah, I've, I've had I've had a number of them. Uh, and, 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 you know, part of the preparation is also being being willing, being able to look at yourself in a critical light and not just say, oh, I, I worked this game. It went well. Now on to the next one. Now go back and, you know, if, if you have video, go back and look at it and, and, and be critical of yourself. And, and how can you improve? You know, one of the things that we always talk about it at, at tournaments, and I'm sure we did the same in Bologna, is, is what can I do to help the crew? You know, what can I do in this situation to help the crew, help the game uh, become better or move forward? And, and always have that mentality in, okay, this uh, I, I may not have been the primary in this situation, but what could I do to help the crew in, in this situation? And, and really really use that to, to try to improve and, and be critical of yourself. And that's what I, you know, that's the challenge I enjoy about officiating is the the um, the drive to, for perfection, knowing it's not, it's never really going to get there, but the drive to constantly just keep improving, review each game, you know, there's, you know, every time you do a game, there's always at least one or two plays that stick out and go, you know what, what did I see? Why, how could I make that play how can I be better in that play and how can I, you know, as you say, be better for the crew? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can even pick out plays where um, your mechanics may not have been a hundred percent correct and, and nothing happened, you know, because you got lucky, but use it anyway to say, okay, am I, am I developing a bad habit here? Am I setting myself up for, you know, that situation where this, this, less than than 100% mechanic is going to bite me uh, or am I going to change it before that happens? Uh, I mean, that's, that's some all great great advice, Frank. You know, I've, I really appreciated you coming on and passing on some great tips, especially around preparation and communication. Just to, I guess, to finish up, is there any single piece of advice 
that we can provide to people that are thinking about becoming an official? Um, what would you say to somebody who's maybe thinking about becoming an official? Do it. Try it. I mean, I've, I've heard so many people say, okay, I, I, you know, I tried it or, or maybe I got got uh, got lured into it or, or I had to do it for this or that reason. And then I figured out it was a lot of fun and now I love it and I can't, uh, I can't do without it. So, so, you know, try it, do it. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Thanks Frank. That's, that's great advice. And you know, as again, thanks for coming on, having a chat and um, yeah, I definitely look forward to uh, when these restrictions are open, we can <laughs> go and do some more tournaments together when they have them. So <laughs> uh, definitely looking forward to it. Thanks for your time, Frank. Me too. Thank you. Frank has given us some great advice in regards to how crucial communication is for the games that we are involved in and that there is more to being a great official than just knowing the rules. As officials, our communication, including our body language, can greatly impact on how a situation develops, which is why it's crucial that we're able to quickly assess the temperament of a situation and respond appropriately. If you're interested in starting your own journey, learning how to develop skills such as the communication skills, check out the director on our website at sportscollaboration.com where you'll be able to find contact details for the officiating associations for the sports that you're interested in. I'll leave you with this final point from Frank. Be aware of what your body language is, is telling the world. 